Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Good Time Podcast. The only podcast that biographies, signifies, and categorizes. And Sigmund Freudifizes. And upsizes. Every figure on the cover of the Beatles' 1967 album, Sergeant Pepper's Holy Hearts Club Band. Today's figures are Oliver Hardy and Karl Marx. Oliver Hardy. Not his real name, by the way. It wasn't. No, Norval. Which I think is also like Shaggy's real name. It is Shaggy's real name. Yeah. Uh, Oliver uh, Hardy, um, born, well, Norval Hardy, born January 18th, 1892, putting him two years younger than his partner, uh, Stan Laurel, born in Harlem, Georgia. I didn't know there was another Harlem. Uh, Harlem, Georgia. Uh, his father's name was actually Oliver Hilbert. Oliver Hilbert, no. Shout out to Oliver Hilbert, awesome <laughs> artist, by the way. Um, his father was uh, actually Oliver, Oliver Hardy. Uh, he was a Confederate States Army vet, so he fought for the Ooh. South. Yeah. Who did? His uh, dad? Hardy's dad, yeah, the real Oliver Hardy. Yeah. Um, and died before Oliver Hardy was even one, uh, which is why he took his name on to pay homage to him. Uh, he was the youngest of five. Uh, his brother Sam drowned in the... Um, Okanee River, when um, they were all very young, uh, Hardy uh, tried to pull him out, but could not resuscitate him. Oh, that sucks. That's got to be scarring. Yeah, that would weigh on you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure it did. Uh, he was a Freemason as well, and uh, part of the uh, Grand Order of the Water Rats. Have you heard of these water rats? No, but I knew that one or both of them were Freemasons. A lot of the, I think the Abbott Costello might have been Freemasons, too. I could have been a Freemason. I feel like I could be, too. You have to be asked. I feel like I was asked. Then you could have been one. I, yeah. s- I sat down with a guy at a coffee shop once. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I told him my grandfather was one, and he was like, oh, let's have coffee. And Yeah, and he was, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that more after. Let's. Yeah. So. That's good. <laughs> so he worked at, a, at the, the Palace, which is this movie theater in L.A., uh, this was in 1910. He was the projectionist, a ticket taker, janitor, became the manager of it, and would you know watch all these movies and just thought that they all sucked and he could be funnier and better than anyone that was on the screen. <laughs> so he started uh, doing cabaret in vaudeville and uh, got pretty good at that. He did that down in Jacksonville, Florida. Maybe that's where the palace was. And it, was it was called the palace. I forget where it is. Um, uh, it was there in Jacksonville, Florida that he married... A uh, pianist um, named Madeline Safison, Salafison. I don't, I don't know if that's right or if I wrote it right. Um, but they divorced. Um, he got married three times total. Okay. So uh, strike one there. Um, he remarried an actress, uh, last name Reeves, in uh, 1913. It wasn't very good. They were unhappy. Um, he turned to alcoholism in that um, failing marriage. Uh, a few years, oh, that same year, uh, he did his first work with Stan Laurel, a little uh, short called The Lucky Dog. Um, but they wouldn't work again together for that a little while. That was in 1917? No, this was 21. Okay. 
1921. And 25, uh, he played the Tin Man in the silent version of The Wizard of Oz. That's right. Which I, th- I didn't know. i never seen it, actually. Have you seen it? No, but I've seen pictures of that. Yeah, and so it's he- strange, because he's a larger man than you would imagine being the Tin Man. Yeah. Yeah, there were... That was the silent Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until uh, 27 when they started acting together with Stan Laurel. They won an Academy Award together for Best Short Film in 1932, The Music Box. Uh, that same year, he divorced Reeves. I guess he was feeling pretty good and was ready to get out of that. Uh, a few years later, he marries a script girl uh, named Virginia Lucille Jones, and they were married till his death, and they were very happy together. That's so, hooray. He found, he found some love. Around this time, he was doing uh, the USO shows with, with Laurel. In uh, 1947, they did a six-week tour in the UK. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. It was such a big hit. They added more and more shows, and it got super extended. Uh, 49, Laurel, Stan Laurel, uh, got diabetes, and he was doing treatment for that, so he wasn't working in so much stuff. But Hardy uh, did a few projects, including one with John Wayne, which is pretty cool, I think. Was it a Western? Was it an actual... Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then the final film that they did together, uh, they filmed it in, the, in 1950 to 51. It was called Atoll K, also known as Utopia, where uh, I think Laurel's character buys an island, and they go to that island, and there's drama getting to it. And then when they get there, they find it's full of like uranium, so they become super rich, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> uh, hilarity and chemical poisoning. Uh, not long after... Uh, in 54, this is three years before he died, but sort of the beginning of him dying. He has a heart attack, uh, ends up losing like 150 pounds, um, allegedly to cancer. Um, he was a big smoker, loved cigarettes. So did Stan Laurel. Um, one, of their, uh, one of their coworkers is even quoted as saying they were freight train smokestacks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, lost 150 pounds, which... Means uh, that's what's actually only half his weight. He was about three hundred, so it's about half his weight. Uh, if you haven't seen him, take your album cover out. That's him on the right. He's a very big dude. I would say he's more tall than anything. He mm-hmm. was a chubbier guy. I think he got bigger as he got older. But in the one we watched, he wasn't like no, no. He was a little more svelte than I had thought yeah. he would be. Uh, yeah, but he was tall too. Yeah, he was six one. But then, yeah, so the wasn't the heart attack. That started, and then the cancer, and then it was a stroke. And um, he was cremated, and he's in uh, some... Buried next to Marilyn Monroe. Uh, his ashes are actually... Ma- his ashes made one of the bricks. In Marilyn Monroe's... <laughs> yeah, in her tomb. Mausoleum. Yeah. Uh, at the funeral, uh, Laurel didn't go because of his, old, his own health issues, but um, it, it, it would have been okay. Yeah. He was there in spirit. They were very close. To my understanding, they were pretty close. Ab and Costello were also very close. They did have a falling out at one point, but then I think they made amends. I just don't like sad stories about people that I like. You know, I always want to find out if they were able to work it out. That's why I feel so bad about Super Tramp. 
Because Supertramp has one of the greatest albums of all time, Breakfast in America. And I think that's when they reached their, like, peak was when, like, of artistry that's considered, like, their greatest thing. And that was right when they stopped working together. And they both think that they're the one that wrote all the good songs for some reason. Super and Tramp you're talking about? Super Tramp. I'm talking about the the band members. Yeah. Dr. Super and uh, Sergeant Agent Tramp. Tramp. Agent yeah. Tramp. Tramp Esquire. But then I listen to Take the Long Road Take the Long Way Home and I'm like, those guys hate each other and it ruins it. It's like when someone gets canceled, it just ruins it. But it's the same thing. If I find out an actor I like got tortured to death in the jungle, it's like hard to watch their movies. You know what I mean? Because you're like, oh, and like Anton Yelchin, you know, you're like watching a movie with him in it. And then you're like, that guy got blasted in the chest by a car in his own garage. It makes it not fun anymore. That's not forgivable. It's his choice. Not unforgivable. It just sucks that I have to think about that uh, when I'm watching Star you Trek. You can't separate it. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> hey, it's a me thing. Any kind of sad ending to a person just makes me not want to think about them anymore. You know? Like, uh, who who was it that got... Um, can never think of her name. Not Mamie Van Doren, but the one that got completely decapitated while she was driving in the car. Oh, yeah, and that's why they, they put those on the back of trucks now. Is it? Yeah. Was it because of her? Yeah, because of whatever her name was. And it's named after her. It's like her name. Is bar. it really? Yeah. Jane Mansfield. Jane Mansfield. Is the You're one. thinking of Max Hedrum. You know, speaking of Max Hedrum, this room would be great for Max Hedrum. I feel like he could pop at any moment. Is that just me? Is that just the lines behind you? Oh, yeah, that would be cool if we colored them each a different color. This doesn't work for audio. Where are we now, by the way? Golden Ox. Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. Golden Ox. I love their logo. It looks very evil. Looks like something the Romans would have worshipped and God would have got really upset. The Order of the Golden Ox. <laughs> Hope we're not giving too much away. The idolatry. But yes, tons of cameras and... Uh, fantastic cameras, fantastic production work. Taxidermy. Uh, it's got it all. Great professionalism. Yep, there's a fire extinguisher. You can yell you can yell right back at the guy who's running the audio and he'll answer you. Hey Jeremy. Hey Dan. See, he's right there. It's a good uh Hit up Golden Ox Studios. They've got a website. WW dot It's http colon backslash backslash www dot Golden Ox Studios, is that correct? Studio. GoldenOxStudio.com. And uh, there's a bunch of other good shows. My good buddy Brett, uh, Brett Thomas, has a show. Um, Big G's got his own too, no? Jeremy's got a yeah. show. 
Jeremy's got a great show. It's called I'm Not Weird, Just Homeschooled. And uh, he pretty much gloats about how his experience was more bizarre than the people that he interviews, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good time. But uh, my guy, Karl Marx. Was he a good time? I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. Was he yet. good at parties? Karl Heinrich Marx. He was born in 1818 to another guy named Heinrich, a lawyer, and Henrietta. So two H's. A lot of alliteration in his family. Huh. They were both Jewish, and they came from a long line of rabbis. Although two years before Karl was born, his father was baptized into the evangelical church. It was probably for professional reasons. You know, this was the 1800s. Sometimes you had to convert to Christianity for work. At 16, Carl got a job working as a department store Santa, but soon realized he was making less money than other Santas that looked much less like Santa than he did. Stop it. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. His early influences did come from the Enlightenment, which is why uh, in the previous episode when you mentioned uh, Kant, yeah, that was um, him and Voltaire were uh, two of his father's... His father was very into Voltaire and Kant. And they were major figures in the Enlightenment movement. I can't believe it's not Voltaire. (laughs) I like the the Enlightenment because it's basically just a bunch of people saying, like, hey, let's not be dumb anymore. Let's think (laughs) some of this shit through. And then they just considered that a movement. (laughs) Like, this new thing. It's called thinking... Thinking things through and not just having baseless opinions. Because that's really what what it was. Inconceivable. It was about, um, there was a lot of talk about uh, equality, you know, among all human beings and the working class and understanding why the rich got richer and the poor stayed poor. And he got very into that. Why does this keep happening? Right. So in 1835, he enrolled in the University of Bonn, where he studied Greek and Roman mythology and the history of art. Then he left a year later to study philosophy and law at the University of Berlin. Renaissance, man. Mm Mm-hmm. Man. Literally and figuratively. Enlighten me some more. Well, he was a man of the... He was into classical art seems like, based on the limited research that I did literally last night. Uh, In 1843, which wasn't too much later, he married Joanna, Bertha, Julie, Jenny, Edel, von Westphalen. All of them at once? Yeah, Joanna, Bertha, Julie, Jenny, Edel, von Westphalen. Karl Marx and my five wives. They stayed married forever. The next year, he met his lifelong friend and collaborator, uh, Friedrich Engels, and together they would write the Communist Manifesto, which would set the groundwork for every political argument for all time. He continued publishing throughout his life, and in 1864, he helped found the International Workingmen's Association, which was an international organization aiming to unite other left-wing or socialist groups. Pretty cool stuff. His later work was hindered by failing health, and in 1883 he died from bronchitis and pleurisy. Both his daughters, 
their husbands and his bestie, Friedrich Engels, were at his funeral. So he must have been a guy that the people in his life liked. You know, all the people that were important to him were there. Karl Marx is considered one of the most influential human figures in history. I think he's also considered one of the most, like, staunchly debated. So it's not to say that he was such a great person with great ideas so much as he created a lot of conversation and change into the way that people thought about things. I personally like the idea of combining both of those things, socialism and capitalism, because I don't think, I think it always works better to blend ideas together, you know? Yeah. Instead of like a black and white, you know? Yeah. You shave the the edges off of both. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I, I don't know. It just seems to work better in most situations. When you blend people you get less uh, deformed people. If you keep blending the same people, eventually you get deformed people. So why wouldn't that be the same with ideas? Right? You can deform an idea. You make a very interesting point there. By keep re- redoing it over and over and over. But, uh, yeah. Like with, dog, with like breeding dogs, too. You know, people too many of the, you know, this, the same kind of dog. That's where they get a lot of problems. Like All the Dalmatians they have to breads. ride on those carts. Because their back legs snap off. They should be mixing it up. But, uh, yeah, Karl Marx did look like Santa Claus. I don't know if you knew that. He did. He looked almost exactly, almost exactly like Santa Claus. Even the way he posed in pictures. Well, Santa Claus was a communist. Yeah. All those presents were free. Yeah. Free presents wore the red. I love a good sequel. I said no one, but there was a sequel that we're going to talk about. I uh, already told you about to the one that we watched yesterday. Yeah, last week. Yeah, when we we watched uh, Sons, Sons, uh, Sons? Of the just Sons, just Sons. We never said how it ended. We didn't. Uh, we did. Uh, we left w- off at a cliffhanger. We recommended that you go ahead and do that and watch it for your own your own enjoyment. And if you haven't, well, here's how it ends. Well, where'd we leave off? They were on the phone. He he he, he accidentally prank calls his own wife. Uh, she does not catch on. No, she does not catch on. She's suspicious, but she doesn't close catch one on to the oh viewer. yeah. So oh, they close. might actually get away with this. You'd think. But then there's a huge typhoon storm in Honolulu, where they were supposed to be. A plot point which did not have to happen for the way that they get caught is has nothing to do with that. But it makes it so much better because then for the next like 10, 15 minutes, both of the wives are just like scared, scared out of their minds that their husbands are dead. Hysterical. Like they they've, they they feel bad that they were angry at them to begin with. And they're so sad because they ended up both going to both quote, quote unquote, going to Honolulu, right? And uh, just, like, trying to get their minds off of the situation because they don't know if they survived or not. There's no word on if there were any survivors on the voyage. They're even feeling guilty. They, yeah, they feel like, very guilty because they told them to go there. We just let them go to Chicago. Yeah. 
We should have just let them go to Chicago. So they go to this movie uh, to try to take their minds off of their missing husbands. And one of the newsreels uh, shows this like huge celebration in Chicago for the Sons of the Desert. I love how quickly that was like edited and put together and then distributed. In this. Well, they were the newsreels. Yeah, that's how it was then. That's where yeah. you got it. You don't have portable TVs yet. You didn't even have like a TV that... How did they get that all the way? <laughs> all yeah, the way there. I'm not, oh, they probably had radio transmissions to like tell what the news is. And then you would do your own local newsreels. And then those would just get inserted into the movie. Because there's no way they're just like shipping daily newsreels on airplanes. They'd have to ship that film, though, that footage. They could have made that footage there in town. But the thing about that footage is it it gives it away. It's breaking news. It's breaking news. Yeah, they were were 100% in Chicago. and, And then they went like... They, they went extra hard. They hammed it up for the camera. <laughs> they were like straight up waving to the camera and doing little dances and, and pointing gestures. at each other. Yeah, and pointing smiling. at each other, smiling, waving. Look at this guy doing one of these. Look at this guy. That kind of pointing. You can picture that. And the wives see that. And now they are just going bananas. Absolutely enraged, furious. Like if they would have been mad before, now they now they've like expended so much of their emotional energy worrying about these men that they love. That's draining. So now they're just enraged, and uh, then it just becomes a bet, right? On because the guys don't know. They go home. They're hiding in the roof because they think they can sneak back in and act like they were. You know, act like. Well, they see the newspaper headline when they get back. Yeah. And see that there was a typhoon and that their ship that they were supposed to be on sunk like three times. <laughs> also, they said like it went down three yeah. times. So many, so many malaprops. And so they, okay, no, we can, we can get in front of this. Like we'll, we'll make it look like we swam back or we, yeah. we boat hiked. <laughs> Is that why they were soaked? Or was it actually raining? I think it actually, it actually ended raining. up raining, yeah. But that was part of, like, that was going to be their story. Yeah. Um, but little did they know that this search boats, you know, the rescue boats, weren't going to come back for another, like, 36 hours. Yeah. And they found that out also on the instant news. The instant 1930s news. Yeah. You want to know what's going on, just go to the movies, and they have breaking news every hour. That would be a lot of shipments of film canisters. Hope you can like You're record like, we'll over. We'll be it. following the story six, eight, and eleven. <laughs> Stay with us. We need more film. We gotta get it to these movie theaters. Cinemark needs to know what's going on. So they get caught, and they're. And they're kind of forced to come clean, but and then their wives pretend like they don't know. They give them a chance to explain themselves, and that's where we hear about the boat hiking. You know, they just <laughs> thumb their way. Oh yeah, that's... so long as the boats go in yeah, the direction. as long as it was going the same direction as they were, they were just that was the best little 
like the nuance of a of a thing like that. You know, he's like, you thumbed your way. We hitchhiked. You hitchhiked. The look <laughs> on his face when he repeats what Stanley said and then realizes that he still has to go with it because he already agreed with them. He's like, we hitchhiked. We hitchhiked. And then he looks. He's like, we hitchhiked. <laughs> he's like, that's right. We hitchhiked. That's right. Thank you, Stanley. And she's like, how did you do that? And he's like, just stick out your thumb and hitchhike and they would pull us aboard. And then Stanley's like, well, that's if they were going our way, of course. (laughs) They did not believe that. And then Oliver gets the crap beat out of him. Gets every dish from the kitchen. Every dish from the entire kitchen gets thrown at him. And, uh, And he has a black eye. But Stanley gets to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, because he he told the truth. Yeah. What a life. End scene. But it doesn't end there. No. There's a sequel. Sons of the Desert 2. Grandsons of the Desert. So with the help of the internet, we were able to find uh, a little snippet of of the script to um, Sons of the Desert 2. Grandsons of the Desert. I'll take... Marilyn and Hardy. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's good. And you'll be West and Laurel. We start off in a luxurious hotel suite with lavish decor. Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, dressed in their signature suits, enter the hotel suite with Marilyn Monroe and Mae West. Mae West is wearing an elegant gown, while Marilyn Monroe is dressed in a glamorous Outfit. I wonder what the difference is. Yeah, I know. Between those two <laughs> I think the it just wanted to say two different things. Yep. <laughs> it needed a, you know, it needed in like a description word and a noun. Yep. It needed an adject, adjective and a noun for each. Is ChatGPT just filling out a Mad Lib? I think it's just Kevin Smith. I think ChatGPT is just Kevin Smith. You've said this before, yeah. You might be onto something. <laughs> Kevin Smith filling in a, yeah. ma- a Mad Lib. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here we are, Stan. The grandest suite in town. It sure is fancy, Ollie. I feel like a king. And you know what they say, boys. Kings should always be accompanied by their queens. Looks like we're in a good company, May. Indeed, we're in the presence of royalty. Wait, does that make us dukes or something? Oh, Stan, you're you're a treasure. Let's not worry about titles. We're here to have a good time. Absolutely. So what's the plan, boys? Well, we thought we'd treat you ladies to a magnificent desert extravaganza. Yeah, we're the grandsons of the desert. Grandsons, I thought we were the sons of the desert. Oh, that was a long time ago, May. We've aged gracefully. I bet you have, Oliver. So where's this desert extravaganza? It's right here in the suite. We've ordered everything you could ever want. Ding dong. The doorbell rings and a hotel staff member enters, pushing a desert cart filled with various delectable treats. Desert extravaganza for the grandsons of the desert? Oh, hooray. It's here. Let the feast begin. 
Hmm, looks like we're in for a sweet treat. Stan, what did you have there? Uh, it's a chocolate volcano. Watch this. Stan dips his finger in the chocolate fountain, causing it to overflow and spatter all over Oliver. Stan, look what you've done. Oops, sorry, Ollie. I guess I got carried away. Well, now you're really the chocolate grandson, Oliver. What? I guess the emphasis on chocolate. Okay. You're really the, yeah. Mm. Mm. I suppose I am. Well, let's not waste this chocolate. We should all enjoy it. They all start dipping fruits and pastries into the chocolate fountain, laughing and sharing sweet moments. This is messy but delicious. Mmm, messy is all special, Team Marilyn. These desserts are sinful, just like us. Wiping chocolate off his face. Indulgence suits us, doesn't it? As the desert extravaganza continues, they all enjoy the sugary delights, creating a joyous mess. The scene fades out, with Stan, Oliver, Marilyn, and May covered in dessert. Laughing and having the time of their lives. All right, so now ChatGPT doesn't even want to, like, put enough thought into even a location. It's like, where do they start off? In an apartment? Nah, they can stay there. This might have been my fault. I might have typed in grandsons of the dessert. I think I typed dessert instead of desert. Yeah. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. There's two S's. It's it's two S's because you want more of it in dessert. That Only one S. I don't think that changes anything because they still didn't leave their house and they were talking about going on a trip and they're like, no, we're doing it right here. <laughs> yeah, but they're doing the dessert there. They're not doing the desert. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't think that's your fault. Well, I just copy and pasted and took away one of the S's. Okay. (laughs) Would you indulge me again? Sure. Indulgence is what I do best. That was real, real Stan Laurel of me. That was another classic Malaprop. See, now this it still hasn't watched the movie. It thinks that this takes place in a desert. Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, wearing their iconic bowler hats and desert attire, stand in the middle of the desert, scratching their heads. Marilyn Monroe and Mae West join them, also dressed... In desert attire. Not as glamorous. Gee, Ollie, this desert sure is big. You're telling me, Stan. I don't remember it being this hot. Well, boys, I guess that's why they call it the desert. Don't worry, gentlemen. We'll find our way out of here. Yeah, we're the grandsons of the desert, after all. Let's hope our grandfather's desert adventures have rubbed off on us. Rubbed off? Or gotten us into trouble. I think a little bit of both, May. So which way should we go, Ollie? Let's try that way, Stan. It looks promising. They start walking in a direction, (laughs) with Stan and Oliver leading the way and May and Marilyn following closely. Ollie, are you sure this is the right way? 
absolutely, Stan. I've got a good sense of direction. We'll be out of here in no time. They continue walking for a while until they reach a fork in the desert path. Holly, what now? Well, Stan, I always say, when in doubt, take the left path. Left, right, as long as it leads us out of this desert. Let's follow their lead, May. Left it is. They take the left path and walk for a while until they reach a group of mirage-like figures. What's that, Ollie? Are we seeing things? It looks like a mirage, Stan, but let's go closer and investigate. They cautiously approach the figures and realize they're camels with riders dressed in traditional desert attire. Well, I'll be camels and riders in the middle of the desert. What a sight. They must know their way around here. Maybe they can help us find our way out of the desert. Excuse me, sir. Can you help us? We seem to be lost. <laughs> it says writer in a thick accent. All right. We can talk about accents. Lost. Ah, grandsons of the desert. Follow us and we'll guide you home. The camels and their riders lead Stan, Oliver, Marilyn, and May through the desert, navigating its twists and turns. Thank you, sir. We would have been wandering forever without your help. It's our duty to assist the grandsons of the desert. Safe travels. They continue following the riders until they reach the edge of the desert. We've made it. We're out of the desert. And it's all thanks to our guides. The grandsons of the desert have triumphed once again. Goodbye, desert. We'll remember you fondly. They wave goodbye to the riders and continue their journey, triumphant and grateful for the adventure. They haven't seen the movie. I would have thought there would have been at least a flashback two-thirds of the way through the movie telling us why they were in the desert. I told it to make it a sequel. And it doesn't remember. No. It didn't even check. Didn't even check. It went with the two S's earlier. That's Could have checked really the synopsis. Could It could have... IMDb'd it, you know? Yeah, it could have IMDb'd it. It could have checked Wikipedia. Like, I understand that an AI probably can't watch a movie... But it definitely could have read reviews. Yeah, it could read Letterbox, Rotten Tomatoes. Oh boy, oh boy. Well, that was a thing we did. (laughs) It certainly was. It wasn't a thing we did. It was a thing that happened. It happened. I don't feel like I had anything to do with that. Oh, you, you, you did plenty. I feel a little bad doing a lady's voice as as a not lady. Why? I don't know. Just like, you know, accents, sort of in general. We've yeah, talked about but there's the same amount of ladies as there are men, though. No matter where you go, there's always the same amount of ladies. Got it. So it's not like I'm like... You're not taking work away from... We weren't going to... Yeah. I mean, think about how Romeo and Juliet was performed... In the 1600s, when Shakespeare wrote it. All dudes. All dudes. And they were all fine. Because they had to be able to play ladies 
or men. Mm-hmm. So they all had to be like, you know, fit, but not like too masculine, but not too feminine. Because you wanted to dress up as a lady to be Juliet, but you wanted mm-hmm. to be Romeo. You so really you- wanted to be Romeo, but you wanted to be the understudy for Juliet, right? Because then you got your bases covered. So you go, you going for androgyny? Yeah, women weren't allowed to act because I think and that's not all. Folks. There was a fear that if they became too emotional, then they wouldn't be able to control themselves in the scene. Whereas, like acting involves controlling your emotions. That way, you can like imagine things from a different perspective instead of having menopause. I think that was the idea. I don't believe in that. This was all before the Enlightenment. Yeah. Well, for sure. That's when they started being like, women are people, I think. Yeah. Well, they definitely make people. They make people, but are they people? And you're like, well, how would you make a person if you weren't a person? They're like, I guess that's true. You got me there. Who do we switch these folks out with? Definitely not two women. (laughs) (laughs) They'd ruin the whole cover. So it's not going to be Roseanne Barr for Oliver Hardy. Why would it be when it could be Chris Farley? No, it's Chris Farley. Yeah, it's Chris Farley. I was just going with a woman. All right, so now we got Chris Farley and David Spade. Both there. Separated by Geiger. Cool. He's in the middle there. But then how about for Karl Marx? Bernie Sanders. Dressed as Santa Claus? Just wearing those mittens. The mittens. (laughs) Asking you once again. (laughs) I don't know what he asked. For money. Oh, yeah. Or like to vote. Asking you once again. He's asking us once again to, um, you know, to to leave out cookies. Or it could just be a sentient 1% sign. A sentient number one with uh, a percent earring, right? I like Bernie with the mittens. I do, too. Yeah. I just wanted to picture uh, Sesame Street number one. One of those felt like... (laughs) Today's show is brought to you by... But it's got a dangly earring. One percent. And it's just a percentage sign. With the the face on it. Yeah. With with the... uh, Yeah. Eyes and a mouth, no nose, maybe a little nose. Well, because they'd have to have a whole conversation about it, and they'd be like, who are you? And he'd be like, I'm the 1%, dude. It'd be a puppet with, like, the, the flag. Like, when you draw, like, a, like when you do the full one, like, not just, like, a strike for one, but, like, the one with the bar on the bottom and the little flag hanging from the top. No, it's Everyone's just... Everyone's seen what the number one looks like. It's just a Cheerio <laughs> with a slash... It's just like a little circle with a slash and then another circle. And the ones the one circles in the left top left slash other circles in the bottom. That's what a percentage sign is. Oh, I was thinking of the number 1, not the oh, percentage sign. Oh, no, the number 1 is like a straight vertical line and it's got like an like a backwards apostrophe on the on the it's, top it's, of it. If you're drawing it with like, you know, sharp angles, it's like Yeah. A, like a flag. I'm sure everyone that's is listening has seen the number one before. 
sometimes it has like a little flat part on the bottom so it doesn't fall over. Yeah, you don't want it falling over because it's heavier on one side. But yeah, um, yeah, Bernie Sanders with the mittens for sure. And Chris Farley. That was pretty easy. That was. We're getting better at this. Yeah. Who do we got next week? I don't know. I usually ask you that the day before. Or I'll t- I'll ask you the day before if you know who you got. <laughs> and then I tell you no. <laughs> All right. Oh, we got H. G. Wells. Nice. We'll find out what the H and G stands for. Who <laughs> gives a hoot? And Sri Paramahansa Yogananda. We already talked about him. They came up earlier. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, they're they're connected to awesome to to um, Babaji. How many Sri's? Does I started this make? when I Is said Babaji. Is this our third I think the third tree so far. Yeah. We've got three trees. That's awesome. There is a fourth. But that hasn't come be up yet. yet. No. All right. The fourth one's going to be uh, on the next row. They should have just kicked George Harrison out of the band. <laughs> Imagine all the cool people could have been on the cover. If they just let Paul McCartney and Ringo do it. But yeah, I look forward to... Some H.G. Wells and... Uh, yeah. Another Shri for the the Shri collection. 